Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm so thrilled to be joined by the wonderful Chris Marshall to talk all about the Apple TV Plus series for all mankind. And <laughs> I wanted to start by asking a little bit about when you first went in and when you first got this role, because you weren't even auditioning for this show, let alone this not. character. You were in the casting office auditioning for a completely different show when they gave you the mm -hmm. sides. And I was so fascinated and interested by that journey of really just having a few minutes to sit with the sides and having to go into an audition without the usual time that you would use to prepare and coming from a very instinctual place and, and what that really looked like in terms of how you had to approach it, knowing that you didn't have all the lead up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it was a totally crazy situation. I went into um, Junie and Libby, who are our fabulous casting directors. I went into their office for a completely different show about lesbians in their 20s and showed up in a sundress and Reebok classics and was ready to do my thing. And the audition went well. And as I was leaving, their assistant ran out into the parking lot and was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you have a chance to just really quickly read this thing about NASA? Which is like someone walking up to you and like, hey, can you quickly do this brain surgery? Or it's just like, what do you mean read this thing about NASA? This is the craziest request um, I've ever been asked about on the fly. And so I said, yeah, sure. And so I took a look at it and, you know, two of the scenes were really technical, um, which immediately I was overwhelmed by. I was like, whoa, I know so little. There's no way I can quickly become a geologist, an engineer and an astronaut in the next 10 minutes. Um, but one of the scenes was a scene with my husband, Clayton, and I glommed onto that and was like, you know what? I'm not a scientist, but I do know what it's like to be in love. I know what it's like to be a woman who wants something. I know what it's like to feel like an outsider looking in. And so I'm going to hold on to those pieces of Danielle that feel like me and then just give it a whirl. I'll also say that, you know, I'm a really um, sort of type A kind of personality and I like to do a lot of research and really dig in and dive in. And what was cool about this experience was that I didn't have that chance. I didn't have a chance to do my research, but I also didn't have a chance to get in my own way. Um, I was forced to kind of really, as you mentioned, rely on my instincts. And so I went in um, after no more than 10 minutes of having the material and uh, ad-libbed most of it. <laughs> but I think that they saw something in me, hopefully, um, that felt like some of Danielle's vulnerability, um, her hopefulness, um, her sort of wistful belief that things will get better. And so that evening I found out that they wanted to give me the job. The next day I was in a costume fitting. And the day after that was my first day on set. So when people ask me like, well, you know, what was your first impression of the show? And I really felt like I was um, just, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. I didn't have a chance to really get my sea legs, but what I think is such a blessing in all of this is that Danielle also feels like she's completely out of her element and she's the only black person in this all white program and she's one of very few women in this all male program and so I tried to rather than push away my nerves or my anxiety just remind myself like this is a real person who's having a real experience and I can bring my real self to this experience and so it's been a really beautiful journey to kind of go on this trajectory with Danielle and sort of do this together. I mean, I, I love what you're saying there in terms of, of really finding the relatable emotional elements of the character as the inroad with the fact mm -hmm. that there are so many technical elements and, and usually you would do 
probably massive extensive research mm -hmm. into the whole world you know the psychology of of this job and this profession and so what was that experience in in the first season for you in almost working on character development retroactively and getting you know you're kind of thrown into the fire like you said production's moving really fast you get scripts really mm -hmm. last minute but kind of still finding those moments and finding those beats where you could step back from the script and find the different inroads to her as a character um you know did did research become part of it at that point or was it more towards season two no 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 um thankfully our showrunners are um so hell-bent on making sure that our storytelling is real science-based storytelling um so we don't just kind of like press buttons because we're in a shuttle but we really do um have real nasa astronauts or former nasa astronauts one of which is garrett reisman who um has been to the international space station i believe three times um has spent a combination of almost a year in space um so he's an excellent person as a resource so he's with us on set and is able to answer all of our questions. Um, but shortly after my first few days, um, we did our little astro school, which has now become our uh, yearly tradition, where we comb through the scripts and we just ask all of the questions. You know, what is translunar injection? And please explain to me what helium three is and how does this all work? And like, also, where do you go to the bathroom in space? And like, just every question, the highly informed questions and the totally silly, you know, like, can I bring chips with me to space? Or is that not allowed? Turns out chips are not allowed. Um, but you uh, sit down with the fellow female astronauts and you just pick Garrett's brain and ask him all the things. And um, so that was super helpful. And then we also have um, Denise and Mike Akuda who are a couple who have worked with Ron Moore on Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica and loads of other shows. Their knowledge of science and technology is like nothing I've ever seen before. I don't use the word genius lightly. These two are a couple of geniuses. And so I think with this work, you can't, um, I don't think you can have a lot of ego with it because if you show up having all the answers, um, you're gonna screw yourself. You have to go into it with almost like a childlike openness of, I don't know what this is, but I want to know what this is. And I'm okay to ask questions, even if they're silly questions. And what's been such a blessing is that everyone on our set um, really makes you feel like there are no silly questions and they're so eager and excited to be of service. And so, you know, that part of Danielle's story of how can I, Chris, quickly gain the knowledge how can I, you know, close the gap of daylight between what Chris knows and what Danielle knows? There's no way that I could do that by myself. But those um, those teams teams of experts who worked with us make that process a whole lot easier. And do you feel like the way that you work with the scripts has really evolved <clears throat> since season one to this point, having done three seasons and, and being about to start shooting season four, um, <clears throat> you know, even just in terms of the fact that you've had the opportunity to ask so many questions. So I imagine that the base knowledge that you come into at this point, going into the fourth season of production, you know, it's, it, I'm sure there's still so much technical language in the scripts that you have to ask those questions about, but that there is kind of at least a base foundational understanding of, of certain things and, you know, okay, if they're doing, this in the spaceship this is probably what it means for my character and so how has that mm -hmm. really changed episode to episode character preparation and specific scene preparation for you you know I really do um I think that so much of this work on this show has to be about trust 
And I have to trust that the experts know what they're doing. And so that way I can really release the reins of some of the technical understanding to the experts who have just sleep, slept, ate and breathed in this world and this language. And then the trust of knowing that they've got that allows me to then focus my attention and energy on the more um, sort of softer sides of the storytelling of Danielle. Something that has been a big change for me um, as an actor, having worked on the show now heading into four years, is prior to the show, of course, I'd worked on other shows and had a lovely time, but I've never had the opportunity to really author a character the way that I have with Danielle. Um, when I came into this experience, um, I was, you know, I, Chris, was in many ways still very, um, still searching for myself as an artist and finding um, my own voice. Um, oftentimes as an actor, you become so accustomed to being told what to do, where to go, what to dress like, and this is how you're going to wear your makeup. And so you start to become a bit of a people pleaser. Um, and so I think there are times throughout season one where I found myself kind of be, being a bit of a chameleon to see, okay, what do the folks around me need? What do they want from me? How can I be what they want of me? Now, as time has grown on, both because Danielle has become more confident, but also because I've become more confident, I'm now able to go to our writers and showrunners and say, hey, this doesn't track. This doesn't make sense. There's no way that, that the woman that I know, the woman that I've built with you, that she would do this or she would say this. Let's discuss it. <clears throat> I'm able to lob up ideas of, I think it'd be so great if in the scene that we did this, or if she came in really hot, or if she did the entire scene where she never looked at him once, you know? And these are the sort of things that you really don't learn in drama school. And you also don't learn um, on every show. There has to be an environment created by the showrunners and the producers that lead you to believe that your voice really is integral to this process. And so now that I've been, I've been spoiled in a lot of ways working with folks who make me feel that way. Now I get to author Danielle. Really, I get to write this story along with them. And that feels really good. Yeah. And, and that's so great what you were saying as well about being able to pull so much of that journey into Danielle as a character, because we've really watched her grow so much over these first few seasons. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, at the beginning of the show, she was very much someone who was in service of others and was really mm -hmm. putting a lot of her energy towards making sure that everybody else was okay and really elevating everyone else around her. And then I feel like over the last couple of seasons, you've played this really beautiful transition in her where it was kind of her uncovering and peeling the layers away a little bit and trying to figure out what it was that she needed for herself and, and then really kind of stepping into her own and giving herself a lot of that energy that she used to be passing on to other people while still mm -hmm. serving her relationships, obviously. Um, and so how do you feel that that's really opened up a lot of different spaces in the way that you're able to play this character with that real shift in, in the way that she kind of channels her energy towards herself? self where it used to come for other people yeah um there's so much well I have so many thoughts it's, it's such a thoughtful question um there's so much about Danielle that I admire and so much that me Chris looks to her even though she's a fictional character I look to her as an inspiration um you know watching her in season two where she goes to Ed Baldwin and says listen I want to be a commander of the next mission. It's not enough for me to just go up to Mars on another, you know, Maytag repair heading up there. I want to command a mission. And he says, well, come on, you know, we've 
we've had black commanders, we've had female commanders. And I'm like, no, but we've never had a black female commander. And this is important. Um, that sort of gumption, the, the confidence and the fortitude that it takes to say to your superior, what you've given me is actually not enough. I know that I have the scientific acumen. I have the skill. I have the talent. I have the fortitude. I could do this if I'm given the opportunity, which is why you will give me this opportunity. I, Chris, do not walk through my life making those kinds of demands. And so when I read that scene, I was like, humming, 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 humming. Oh my gosh, like this is so exciting. It's that feeling of like standing on the precipice of a really tall height and feeling like, oh man, like there's a strong gust, I may fall over. Um, and so watching her, which I know it sounds a bit like you know schizophrenic because I'm I'm playing her, but watching her take agency over her life, over her career. Um, and yes, she's afraid, and yes, she's unsure, but the determination supersedes that fear. I feel like in many ways, like Danielle has become like a big sister to me. And so now I see myself making bigger strides in my career and asking for more in my negotiations, asking for more in my conversations around my work, because I'm, I can see her as an example of what it looks like to, to stand in your own truth. And so what I'm hopeful about is that other women and girls, other people of color, other just people generally can watch my portrayal of Danielle Poole and feel about her the way that I, Chris, felt about her. Like, okay, it is possible to step out on faith that way. And even if she asks and she's not given everything that she's requested or she's requesting, that's okay too, you know, but nothing beats a failure than a try. So- and, you know, with the way that you're describing that as well, has that kind of changed the way that you've played her in a lot of scenes? Because before it was kind of a lot of waiting for other people's beats to respond to them and a little yeah. bit more internalized. And so do you feel like it's a little bit more kind of like leading the scene in a different way in terms of the rhythm and the pacing and, and the energy and the beats of her as a character and, and also just being a bit more externalized? Because like you said, maybe she wouldn't have said that out loud in season one, but, you know, now there's all these things that she's able to actually just go straight in on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that you just use the word leader um, because that is so much about who I see her being. Um, I remember there was a scene in season one where Michael Dorman and Evan Hodges and myself, the three of us are in the outpost and Clayton's just come home from Vietnam and Gordo's kind of tying one on, having a few too many drinks and these two begin to get into this row. <clears throat> and so we shot all of Michael's coverage and he is flawless and delightful and then they shoot Edwin's covers and he is flawless and delightful and now it comes to me and this is my first real um intense conflict scene in the series it's only episode five of season one I'm, yeah episode five and it was as if like I just gave the performance of my life when I'm on the other side of the camera and I'm just there supporting these other actors once the camera turned on me it was like all of the acting juju flew out of my ears and I was like, you know, just so terrified. And I remember feeling like I was doing a scene and it was good enough, but I didn't feel good about it in my bones. And I had that moment that you have where you're like, man, I'm kind of blowing this, you know, like this doesn't feel very good. I don't, I kind of want to just go home, you know, I'm not doing very good today. And so 
Michael Dorman could see that I was struggling and he pulled me to the side and he gave me this really lovely pep talk and just said, hey, you're okay. You're okay. In you is the thing and it's already in there. You don't need to do more. You don't have to put more on it. It's already in there. And we've already done it and it looks great. It's already in the can. So I think just go out there and kind of do what you would do, not trying to please anybody. And him giving me that little kernel of uh, not even confidence, but just um, uh, allowance, I guess, that I was now allowed to do as I pleased. Um, suddenly I felt like, hey, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do it. How I, I'm going to do this one for me. And so I went back out and I did the scene and I felt so good about it. And then the very last minute of the scene, I go to pick up my purse. I knock the table and the wine glass crashes to the floor. There's broken glass everywhere. And I just looked up at Michael and just go, God damn it. And turned around and walked out of the scene. And that was the take that they took. That was the take that made the cut. And it's just so lovely because Danielle is overwhelmed and she's frustrated and she's torn between this, these two men who one she loves, one she admires and all of this stuff is going on. And so your question initially was about leadership. And that, that moment taught me two things. It taught me one, that it's okay to be led by my cast. It's okay to lean on other people. And I'm so grateful that Michael was able to be there for me. And it also taught me that someday, only just a year or so later, that I would then be the person in the position of leadership where I can say to someone in my cast, hey, you're okay, you got this, like it's in you. And I've done that for them and they've done that for me. And I think sometimes you look to others for the answer and then sometimes folks look to, look to you for the answer. And so again, it's just, it's so odd how it's very symbiotic, this relationship between me and Danielle. But this lesson of being able to step into a place of leadership and not always getting it right. And sometimes breaking a glass and shattering, you know, wine everywhere. That's okay. That ends up being the take that you use. It's not about getting it right. It's just about doing it. It's also one of the great things about spending that much time on a show with, with the same mm -hmm. character and with the same cast. And you, you, you were bringing up Ed as a character in the show. And, and I did want to ask about that beautiful scene that the two of you played together this season where, you know, essentially they're, they're sitting there in the diner and, and he's having that moment of having been pulled off the command and, and knowing that it's going to be her leading the mission instead. Um, because I've, in talking about that scene, I've heard you say that you kind of had a few different versions that you tried and, and that you came in with. And there were some that were a little bit more towards like the anger and frustration that she's feeling yeah. having to listen to this and a little hotter. Um, and I think there's, there's kind of like that real beautiful and very realistic restraint in your performance. And I was just interested in, in some of the intricacies of filming that scene, particularly mm -hmm. because there's, so many different things at play for these two characters who have such an extensive history and just some of the different versions that you found yourself trying. Yeah, um, I remember in the table read being, you want to talk about hot, I mean, mad as hell. You know, this guy and I have been friends for decades. Um, we have seen each other go through real ups and downs. Um, he's seen me become a widow. I've seen him lose a child. I've seen him go through a divorce. Um, and so for him to say, this thing that really cuts to the quick, you know, essentially that you and I both know if this were an even playing field that I would have gotten the job and you wouldn't. 
he's saying that because I'm a woman and because I'm a black woman, I've been given an opportunity that frankly, I don't deserve. Um, and I just found it so insulting and I was really angry about it. As an actor, I also read it and was shocked because typically stories don't allow their lead character to have such an ugly flaw. It's easy for the lead character to be, you know, to cheat on his wife or, you know, whatever, uh, maybe even have a temper, but you don't often see a lead character in a show like this where there is a racial undertone. It's something that is, you know, it, it, it's, it's nuclear. People don't want to touch that. So I was really impressed with our writers to even begin to go there. Um, and we saw some signs of that in season two when Danielle is, you know, having the conversation I just mentioned about the, the being the first black female commander. Um, but a part of you feels like, okay, we've already passed that. So when we see it come back again, I thought, wow, they really want to go there. So my initial read of it was very hot. Um, then after working through it, I began to realize, especially because I just adore Joel so much, that part of the gig of being a woman and being a black woman is that sometimes you are treated unfairly and you don't get the opportunity to just take your ball and bat and go home. You don't have the, the privilege to flip a table or to go bananas. Actually, what you have to do is turn the other cheek, have a stiff upper lip and carry on with the rest of the day. And so we, we're very, very fortunate that we shoot the show in such a way that we really are allowed a lot of time and to play and to rehearse. And sometimes we rehearse scenes on, you know, during the lunch break on days that we're not on and things like that. And then we also have the luxury of knowing each other so well, not just as, you know, storytellers, but as human beings, Joel and I spend time together on the weekend, his fiance and my husband are friends. So there is that um, currency and that, that dexterity that you have with someone where you know them well enough that you can play. So those are the sort of things that I came in on the day thinking this scene's gonna end with you know, some shattered glass or it's gonna really end ugly. And by the end of the day, it, there was um, just a resolve in Danielle of like, I'm not surprised this is coming from you, but I am disappointed. Um, and I think that actually hit harder and was more true to a relationship to people who have known each other for many years. Absolutely. I also, you know, I, I find the idea of, of everything that she does professionally and, and for all these characters quite fascinating from a psychological standpoint of, mm -hmm. you know, what it takes mentally in order to reach that level, you know, what it takes psychologically to be in that sort of space and also the relationship that she has to have with the idea of her own mortality through a profession like that. Every single mission that she goes on, there's a very, there's a high probability that something could go disastrously wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sure that she's aware of that and, and especially having lost people at various points. And, and I was interested in kind of how you saw that relationship with, with the psychological element, with, the, with that relationship, with her sense of mortality, and then how that's also shifted a little bit with her stepping into this leadership position, because she's now the, the kind of like the front person for everyone else's safety as well. And, and there's that moment where she's telling one of her crewmates, you know, we had a couple of people that didn't make it and she has to hold everything in because she needs mm -hmm. to be there as a leader first and foremost, rather than addressing her own grief at the situation. Yeah. Um, wow. Mara, I have to say I've done, you know, too many interviews about this show to count. This is the first time anyone's ever really, um, asked me about the thought of Danielle's mortality. Um, and it's throwing me because you're right. I mean, we've seen, 
you know, every year when I look at the writer's punch board, which has all of our headshots on it, more headshots come down and new headshots go up. You know, a lot of folks die on our show. Um, so, you know, this is, I'm, I'm answering this, thinking about it on the spot. I think that, you know, what comes to mind is the conversation that Will Tyler has with Danielle and the airlock, um, a scene that I really fought back about initially because um, I was thrown that after Will comes out, that Danielle's response is sort of um, very terse and very curt and in some ways dismissive. And she says to him, you know, why didn't you just wait to come out? Which I think is probably the meanest thing you could say to a person who's been living in the closet. And when I read that, I immediately emailed Matt and Ben and said, hold on a second, this is, this is, this is a bridge too far. Danielle would never do that. And they reminded me that it was not about Danielle being homophobic or anything like that. She has one job and it is to get this base online and create a sustainable life and begin to colonize Mars. That's it. We're not here for infighting. We're not here for whatever personal volition or a statement you're trying to make about your sexuality. We just need to get here and survive. We need to find water. We need to begin growing food. We got real, um, real big fish to fry. And so, you know, I see it throughout the trajectory of her behavior throughout the, the last three seasons where because she's seeing how quickly life can be taken um, and whether it's a tether swings and snaps and someone explodes into the void or a, a car careens and hits poor Shane Baldwin and now he's brain dead and then on life support that nothing is promised. And so I think, you know, the type of work that astronauts do is work that I certainly would never be able to do because being faced with my own mortality every day, I think would give me such anxiety. I'd never be able to leave the house. Um, but I think that the fact that she knows that she's in danger every single day, that a slight leak in the seal of an airlock could be the difference between life and death. I, I think that that is what makes her a hero. I think it's what makes all of them heroes. No, I think you're absolutely right. And and I love all these insights that you've shared into her as a character and, and how you've approached playing her over the, the last few seasons. I'm excited that you're already going to production soon on the next season. So we get to have- On more Monday. Monday is the first day of school. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Like genuinely really appreciate it, Chris. You gave such thoughtful and uh, you got me, it's a real dinger, zinger there, a humzinger there with the mortality question. But I, I love speaking to someone who really- is uh, passionate about the show and has not only watched the episodes, but really given true thought to who these characters are. And I just can't say it enough that I feel so fortunate to be able to tell the story. And it's just been such a blessing. So thanks for having me on. Anytime. <laughs>